You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. I'm sure many of you have heard the phrase postmodernism. It was a label that was given many years ago to kind of describe the present mindset of our culture. Uh, So in a postmodern world, which is what we live in, uh, you have this general sense of there's no absolute truth. Uh, Everything is relative to the situation, to a person's personal um, moral and ethical view on life. And for a postmodern world, 
one of the biggest questions is simply, who am I? Answering that question of your identity. Uh, and if you're familiar with what's going on in the world right now, you know that for many, the issue is that that is a question now that is no longer as definitive as it used to be. In other words, that a postmodern world is telling us now your identity really has nothing to do with your biological sex. It's more what you think or perceive yourself to be. And you're even able now to choose and pick your own pronoun to define and shape your identity, again, based on who you feel or think that you are. Well, what about when it comes to the identity of Jesus? Is that as vague a matter, or is there a specific answer that we should be prepared not just to share with others, but make sure that we ourselves are clear on answering the question, who is Jesus? So looking from now up through Easter, we're going to focus on the I am sayings of Jesus. There's a, in John's gospel, there's seven clear statements that Jesus says. In fact, answering for us the question, who is Jesus? Uh, so I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at this first I am statement, and that is simply Jesus repeating, I am the bread of life, I am the bread from heaven. And so when you come to John chapter 6, we're going to look at this and first look at what does it look like to selfishly be seeking Jesus? And then looking at some that selfishly were seeking Jesus, then talk about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And then finally, what does it mean to serve Jesus Christ? And all of these are related to that simple question, who is Jesus? And what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? So let me direct your attention to chapter 6 and verse 25, because here's where we encounter initially those who are selfishly seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, the one immediate question for us should be as we jump in at verse 25 is who, who does they refer to? Who are the they who come to him with this initial question, when did you get here? Well, the context would tell us if you went back to the beginning of chapter 6, that they refers to some of the multitude who were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. This is the only miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, that's in all four Gospels, which maybe heightens for us the significance of out of this miracle, Jesus will speak about being the bread of life. But when Jesus performs this miracle, the feeding of 5,000, we're told that he does send the multitudes away. But apparently not all went back to their homes. Some kind of continued to remain there. The hour is late. Jesus ends up in between after the feeding of the multitudes. The disciples leave by boat to cross the Sea of Galilee late at night. They encounter some torment and difficult weather. Jesus walks on the water, joins them, and they immediately are on the other side the next morning. So that's where we're picking up. But I said that you have a group here who, unlike, not unlike many today, are selfishly seeking after Jesus. And that's revealed by the questions that they ask. There's three questions that they 
fire at Jesus. The first one we read, when did you get here? And we can look at this and say, well, they, they really miss Jesus. They, they just want to be with Jesus. But then listen to Jesus' reply in verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. There's a couple times in this passage where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Uh, older translations have, verily, verily, I say to you, an extremely important phrase. It, it always is followed by a very important statement. So, so it's something that draws your attention that I better listen to what comes after this statement. I tell you the truth. Jesus knows their hearts. And he says, I understand you were frantically looking for me. You got up that next morning and you noticed there were two boats here to begin with. Now there's only one boat left and I'm not here and the disciples aren't here. And you know that I didn't leave with the disciples. But the problem is their frantic searching is self-centered. And Jesus pinpoints that in verse 26 when he says, it wasn't the miraculous signs, but you were full. Now it's the next morning. You're hungry again. You, you want to know, well, what am I going to do to feed you, to satisfy you, to make your life more comfortable? Now, if that sounds like that doesn't happen today, think of the appeal of the prosperity gospel. You know, that, that God is there to provide for your needs, that God is there to, to just bless you and, and make you happy. Very appealing to a postmodern world who's all about my identity, my needs being met, but that's not who Jesus is. I was talking to someone recently who has, has grown quite a bit spiritually, and they said to me, you know, I, I realize that I kind of in the past approached God like a genie. That he was there to give me what I wanted. And Jesus is quickly cutting through this initial excitement. They come to him and they're like, when, when, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says, you know, I, I know what's motivating you. Your self-centered interest in your own needs being met. But that was only the first question that begins to peel away what's really going on in the heart of, of these, these Jewish people who have crossed the Sea of Galilee to find him. Well, notice the second question in verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Now, the word works there is plural. They're, they're asking from a very solid Jewish perspective, well, obedience is everything. Just, just tell us, what are the works? What, what are the requirements we have to do? You ever met someone like that who just wants to know, well, God, just, just tell me what God wants for me. You know, tell me how much he wants me to put in the offering plate. Tell me how much he wants me to serve. Just, just give me a list, and I'll check the list off, and I'll be on my way. The second question reveals that they're missing what, it means to be right with God. 
Because listen to Jesus' reply in verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Notice Jesus responds singular. There's just one thing you need to do. Not 613 commands, not, not a list of things, but here's the one work. You need to believe in the one he has sent. There you have it. Jesus is saying, you, you need to believe in me. He's the one who's standing before them claiming that God has sent him from heaven. Just as you'll see he makes reference later to historically an incident in Israel's history that they knew when God sent manna from heaven to feed his people. So Jesus' reply is you must believe, you must trust, put your full confidence in the one whom God has sent. And you notice over in verse 44, Jesus picks up on that and says, the only one who can believe are those whom God has drawn, whom God has preceded and gone ahead and softened your heart and enabled you to respond in faith. And that's very important for a people who are coming to God, who are self-centered, to not give them the impression that even by acknowledging and believing that's not something they can take credit for, that they can't pat themselves on the back and say, well, you know, we did our part. We believed. Jesus is even closing that door and saying belief is the result of the work of the one whom God sends on those he has called. But then go to verse 30 and 31, and you see their third question. Each question reveals more and more about their selfishly seeking Jesus. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now John's gospel uses this phrase signs, miraculous signs, always as a significant event that points beyond itself. So through Jesus' miracles, he's not just drawing attention to, look what I can do with the powers of nature or healing, but, but who could only do this but God? One who is God himself among you. And so in this question, what they're really saying is, we need something big from you. Now keep in mind where this group is coming from. They were there in the beginning of John 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, they saw what he did. And yet they're claiming, yeah, that, that was good, but, but not good enough. You know, can you give us something greater? I mean, we did have the manna that Moses provided. That was pretty amazing. Can, can you top that? You know, if you would just top that, we would believe you. Have you ever met someone who says to you, well, you know, I'd, I'd believe in Jesus if I lived back then. You know, if, if I just saw him do something, I, I would believe right now. And what that reveals to us is in our self-seeking of Jesus Christ, the issue is never a lack of evidence. The issue lies in the heart. And that's clearly seen in these individuals. They had seen what Jesus did. 
They, they, they heard him. They, they had no excuse. And yet they're claiming we, we just need some more evidence. To give you an idea of their ignorance, but, but sadly not an excused ignorance. So we don't want to read this and say, well, you know, if someone had just told them, Jesus did tell them. They had the testimony of all of the Old Testament scriptures as to God and who this Messiah would be who would come. But you notice their confusion, which again is inexcusable. If you go to John chapter 6, verse 14, in that immediate setting when the multitudes are fed, notice what some were saying about the identity of Jesus. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. So you have a glimpse when, when this first happened, some of them and probably some of the same group that's now standing before Jesus were saying, maybe this is the prophet, the one Deuteronomy 18.15 talked about, the one who would come after Moses and, and he's the one we should listen to. But now also look at chapter 6, verse 25. Remember there when they cross the Sea of Galilee a day after, now they simply say, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now the term Rabbi is a respectful title, but it's interesting how they're not saying, oh, the prophet, when did you get here? Because they still do not understand who Jesus Christ is. But then you go further. Notice in verse 34 of John chapter 6, they respond, Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Now, sir is not the same title as rabbi. It's the title Lord, but kind of for our perspective, think lowercase. It's a title of respect, um, but again, we've gone from prophet to rabbi to sir. And then you go down to verses 41 and 42. At another point, they begin to grumble, as we'll see, at Jesus' words. And they say, this guy, how can he be from heaven? He's the son of Joseph. Uh, we know who his father and mother are. What a gamut of, of all different kind of thoughts running around in their minds as to who is this Jesus. And I would say we meet people today who have the same range of things. They're thinking he's someone pretty moral, he's a good teacher. Others are saying, well, maybe, maybe, maybe he was God, but we really don't know. Others quickly dismissing him and saying, well, he was just some, some Jewish rebel that came along, but you know, left the scene like all the others have in the past. Lots of talk, but nothing really ever happened. But in the midst of all that, we see a people who are without excuse. Yes, they're looking for Jesus, but they're not looking for who Jesus really is. They want to make Jesus into their image, just like people today want to say they can make their own identity. But John goes on to turn his attention now to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Who is this one that, in the midst of this self-seeking, he's going to speak about himself being the bread of life? 
But keep in mind, as you read this, you see Jesus shifting from literal bread to then also using the reference to bread figuratively. Now, bread was a staple in the ancient world. And even if references to a loaf of barley bread, which is what he took to feed the multitudes, the loaves, that that was the common subsidence of probably the poorest person. So everyone knew the importance of bread. They weren't counting carbs like many people are today. So in this, Jesus will now move to the sufficiency of who he is. And notice in verse 27, in response to that first question, Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus directly states that as the bread of life, he is the source of true life. Now, you notice in verse 27, this should have triggered something in the minds of his Jewish audience when Jesus says, the Son of Man will give you. That's straight out of the book of Daniel, the Son of Man, a prophecy related to this one who would come, one who would come from the presence of the ancient of days. So Jesus is taking a title from the Old Testament, and clearly his audience knows the Old Testament because they know what happened in Moses' time. They know about the manna. They would be very much aware of the prophecy of Daniel, the significance of this title, Son of Man, that Jesus uses. But notice as well in verse 27, Jesus says, On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now you think of the seal. We've talked about this before, the importance in ancient documents of a seal, proved authenticity, proved ownership. Jesus is saying, I am the authentication of who God is. You want to know who God is? He's standing right before you. He is the one who is saying to you, I am the bread of life. And notice you see this repeated. You go down to verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We've moved from you need physical bread to eat to now this bread will give life to the world. Then you jump over to verse 40. And there Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. So we're not just talking about you will have life now. This isn't your best life now that Jesus is referring to. But you have purpose, significance, new life in him now, and for an eternity. You can't read that and say, well, Jesus is still talking about literally literal bread. No, he's moved to the figurative picture of you. You want life, I am the source of life. And then as well, you could look at verse 47. And notice there, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, which you know by now means it's coming. Listen carefully. He who believes has everlasting life. Back to the statement, what works do we need to do? One, believe by faith 
in this one who stands before you and says, I am the bread of life. What, what a picture of the sufficiency there is in Jesus Christ. He is the source of life. But with that, we're reminded that Jesus Christ must be acknowledged and received by faith. So you go back to verse 29, when Jesus answers the second question, where they're like, well, just tell us what to do. Jesus very clearly says, here it is, believe. Now, we must unpack that word believe some. It means to completely trust yourself, entrust yourself to what Jesus Christ is saying, to who he is, and to all that Jesus taught that's contained for you and me in the scriptures. So it's not some vague word that means just sort of give lip service to this, uh, nod your head, fill out a card, write the right words down. But we're, we're talking about a life-changing confidence and trust in Christ. That is what he's calling the self-seeking individuals to. And I would say that is what he's calling a postmodern world, which we are a part of also, too. Go across to verses 35 through 40, where Jesus keeps repeating, I am the bread of life, sometimes saying, I am the bread of heaven. But look closely at verses 35 through 40. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Notice there the, the clear indication of figuratively referring to bread as what is the key to life. Because Jesus now says, not only will you not hunger if you understand the bread of life, but, but you won't thirst. But he goes on and says, but as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those who are seeking after Jesus for selfish reasons will give their attention to everything else but the condition of their heart. And I say that not to just look at maybe those outside the church, but I think sometimes those of us within the church can realize we're often seeking Jesus for selfish reasons. We're, we're, we're just looking for peace. We're looking for comfort. Uh, in the midst of all the talk about the coronavirus, if, if we're only going to God because we just want to be comforted, we don't want to be anxious about it, then we're not really approaching him as the true bread of life. We're no different than this group that shows up on the shore and says, well, where, where were you? When did you get here? And so as John takes us through this teaching, we see what it means to selfishly be seeking Jesus we contrast that with the sufficiency there is in Christ. But now John needs to bring us back to what does this mean practically? And that comes to serving Jesus Christ. Ironically, if you were to read the whole chapter 6, 
you would see that this looks like this does not work out well. In other words, by the time Jesus is done talking about you, you've got to eat my body, you've got to drink my blood, uh, that where that leaves them is many disciples, quote-unquote disciples, who would not be true followers, leave. And then Jesus will even ask the question eventually of Peter, what about some of you? Do you, do you want to leave too? And in Jesus's and Peter's confession, which we'll look at in a moment, even then Jesus says, one of you will already leave me. What a look at what does it mean to serve Christ when by the end of this, in one sense, there's less followers clinging to Christ than when it began. Because Jesus is all about saying, you know what, you need to understand as the bread of life, you need to grasp what it means to serve me. And so let me draw your attention to chapter 6 again, but verses 45 through 48. In there you have a reference from the book of Isaiah. It says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Now the passage Jesus quotes from, from Isaiah 54, is all about the future glory of the kingdom of God. And what marks that kingdom is true service, listening and obeying God's word. And so if you want to know what it looks like to serve God, don't just start with trying to list off activities you do or don't do in the church or what you've done this past week or haven't done. Start with the simple question, are you listening and obeying God's word? Because that's how Jesus defines here what it means to serve him. Now, if you're starting to say that this is hard stuff, then you are tracking with what Jesus is saying here. Because notice in verse 41, one of the responses of the self-seekers is, as Jesus continues to teach about this, it says, as this, the Jews begin to grumble about him. You can't help but notice the subtle irony here. They, they asked about in verse 31, can't you do what our forefathers, what you did for them, can you even do it greater? And if you know the context, when God provided manna, after a certain point in time, what did the people start to do? Grumble, complain. We're, we're tired of the bread. We're, we're tired of this. Now, ironically, here they are, in a sense, proving they're no different from the self-seekers in the past. They begin to grumble. But before you kind of get your antenna up, like, oh, I knew they were going to do this. I could see it. Flip the page and look at verse 61. When Jesus is all done with them, he's going to teach the disciples. Notice what verse 61 says. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. As Jesus went on and said, this is what it means to serve me. This is what it means to feed on me, eat of me. Even among his disciples, the same exact word is used. They begin to murmur. Now we could 
maybe argue that the basis of their murmuring was not out of unbelief, but the realization, who can do this? Like, this is so hard. And yes, serving God, serving Jesus Christ is challenging. It always has been. It always will be. Just as it will always be rewarding and it will always be profitable. And so going back to this thought of what does it mean to serve God, you see in verse 38, Jesus says that he has come, in John chapter 6, verse 38, he has come to carry out the will of him who sent him. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what Jesus said about his disciples? Just as the Father sent me, so I send you. We are to do the will of the Father. We are to do the will of the Son. But you notice in verse 51 that serving Christ also entails staying connected to Christ on a daily basis. Because Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, the tense of that word eats is continuous. So not just partake once, not just acknowledge Christ as your Lord and Savior, but, but what are you doing to nourish and feed that relationship and your love for him on a daily basis? And remember what Jesus said, you, you can't come to the Father unless he draws you. So he is doing the work in us and through us, but we are responsible for spending time in his word, for not neglecting fellowship, for spending time in prayer. Because as Jesus would go on and talk about this very vivid and graphic picture of my blood, my body, you've got to eat it, you've got to ingest it, you've got to make it nourish you in your life. Notice what he says in verse 57, when he says, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, Jesus is clearly not teaching cannibalism or anything like that, but he's saying, if, if you want to serve me, you have to continually nourish yourself on me on my word, on, because I am the bread of life. I am the source of all life. And again, this word in verse 57 feeds is continuous. You could render it literally, chew on me. And that, that gives you a picture that how much time are we spending just chewing on God's word, rehearsing it, going over it, absorbing it, digesting it. All of that is involved here. So the significance of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, is one definitive answer to who is Jesus. His identity is clear. It's clear to Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his thin book, Mere Christianity, where he seeks to present what is at the core of Christian doctrine and teaching, does talk about the issue of Christ's identity. But what C.S. Lewis presents clearly, just like John, is the answer to Christ's identity is not open to discussion. 
Jesus never said, I want to hear, kind of tell me what you think I am. You know, just tell me if, if this is what I mean to you, that's fine. What C.S. Lewis counters with is what Jesus has said is, this is who I am. What is your response? So Jesus isn't asking you, do you agree that he's the bread of life? What does that phrase mean to you? He's saying, this is who I am. What is your response to what I have said? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for those of us in Christ, may these words be of great encouragement to us. But Lord, may we realize that again, in a world that is seeking to find itself in all the wrong places, that there is no question as to who Jesus Christ has said he is. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.